So, uh, of course, before all this went down, we were in John, uh, a study that we called Undeniable. We were going through and had come to chapter 14. The last time we looked at John 14, it was from my kitchen counter, and I was on a live stream on Facebook, but that's been a long time ago, and I don't even remember what I talked about. So, we're going to jump right back in to John 14, where we left off last time. Uh, The last study that we did here was uh, a, a message called Be Greater. And uh, the text that we really that inspired that conversation was chapter 14, verse 12, where Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, um, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to my Father, but I'm not leaving y'all alone. I'm going to give y'all this same spirit and this same strength, that you might do greater and be greater, and not my absence, but in the transition from the day of Jesus' ministry to the age of the church that we are still a part of. So this promise is still to us. It wasn't just to the disciples. It wasn't just to the people of Acts in that generation. That promise that we can do greater is still to us. Now we talked about what that meant um, and, and the, the idea of that we could do greater works, that we might could do broader and bigger and, and more um, super-scaled um, works compared to what Christ just did in his generation to his audience. We have been positioned all around the world to do works as great as he did. And we kind of came to this conclusion uh, that God's Spirit dwells with us and within us to work greatness through us. And I think considering all the, the things going on in our world right now, considering the current climate, this conversation bears repeating. And we, we should take another look at this idea of what greater works can we do? What works can we do that echo and reflect the works that Jesus did? Because we need the power of God in our world today, now more than ever, but always and forever. But we got to ask the question, how does God work his greatness um, in our generation? How does God work this greatness through us? And, and we often think supernatural, but we should really think relational. That God has gotten us through these, uh, gets us through situations and puts us in seasons where we might be able to feel his comfort and feel his strength and be equipped by his word and by his spirit that we might in our relationships and in our lives make a difference in others' lives as he has made in ours. We talked about this over the past few months during this season that we have went through, everybody has went through different kinds of emotional and mental challenges and, and, and uh, burdens in this season of virus and so many things to worry about. Um, we faced many challenges in our lives and all of them, it's because of the goodness of God that we have gotten through them and overcame them, right? And just as God has comforted us, and just as God has helped us, God wants to work through us that we might share this comfort and change others as God has changed us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that, say that with me, so that he comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. So your affliction may be unique to you, but God has comforted you so that you might be able to comfort those, who's those? Anybody in any affliction with the same comfort with which we have been given. That's pretty self-explanatory, right? That's pretty practical and that's pretty doable, right? That as God has comforted you in your affliction, you can comfort somebody in their affliction. Here's the thing about affliction. Somebody's always going through some kind of affliction, aren't they? If it's not a pandemic, it's 
an unrest uh, that has broken out, right? If it's not something you're going through, it's something someone else is going through. And God has comforted you so that you can comfort others. So here's the thing. We should pray for God to comfort us, but when that comfort is given, we shouldn't stop praying about that season we were in. We should start praying, okay, God, thank you for the comfort you gave me. Now, how am I supposed to share this with somebody else? Because it's not a question of if, it's a question of when and to whom. So what comfort has God given you that you can share with somebody else? As, observe, as you observe them facing the same things you faced, that's why it's so important while following Jesus may be a one-on-one thing, there's a lot more on the road every day than just us. A lot, of more, a lot more people that we're going to inter- encounter and come into contact with than just ourselves. So what we have been through has taught us and prepared us to help somebody else. God wants to help us so that we can help others. He wants to help us do great things and be great. He wants to help us be greater. To love God and one another. To bring glory and to do good. You know, Jesus began John 14 with a promise about heaven. But Jesus does not call it heaven, does he? What does he call it? The Father's house. The Father's house. Something so personal, right? Now, obviously, it's called heaven, but Jesus refers to it as this big family gathering that takes place in one big house. A big house that the rooms in that big house are like mansions in and of themselves, but they're not all separate. They're not all by themselves. They're all in the Father's house. He makes a point to talk about how big it is and how much room there is in it. That room isn't just for looks, folks. You ever been in a house where it's like there's just so much that's just for looks and you think, who lives here, right? The rooms in the Father's house, that room in the Father's house is not just for looks, it's for lives. It's for us. Nobody's going to be worrying about us scratching something or turning something over or tearing something up. It's going to be for God's kids to enjoy, right? Now let's put all this in context. Jesus tells the disciples about the Father's house because he's broadening their vision and their focus after just giving them the new commandment to love one another. He was charting their course for the future so that by following the great commandment and the great commission, greater things can still be done. The Father's house can be full. So put all this together. We've been put on the great commission. How are we to obey the great commission? By obeying the great commandment. Love one another as He has loved us. And how can we do greater things? By being obedient to the commandment and the commission. And by bringing people into the Father's house. On earth, yes. Ultimately, in heaven though. Who knows what good might be accomplished, what kind of undeniable impact we might leave on somebody's life. I think there is no more appropriate, uh, this is no more appropriate than right now because the church needs to go and show the world how inclusive, how inviting, how attractive, how accepting God's house is. That God has invited everybody and that God's church has been sent on a mission to reach everybody. There is so much division in our world right now. There's always been a lot of division. It's not new. It just changes based on what it is. It changes according to what is being divisive. But it's not enough for Christians to say, well, I just wish there wasn't so much division. It's not enough for Christians to pray, God, I wish the world wasn't divided. Would you please fix it? Now follow through with this. The Great Commission, the Great Commandment, the Great room, the greater works, 
We can't just watch the world being divided and the world being so divisive toward each other and say, well, I wish things would get better. Because we as Christians have been called to be peacemakers and we've, called, we've been called to be unifiers. Think about how impossible that seems in our world right now. Do you think, have you ever thought, well, I'm not doing any good. There's no making peace. There's no unifying. But what does John 14, 12 say? Greater works than these he will do or you will do. Jesus doesn't say, Boho, when you get to 2020, it's not going to look good. He doesn't say, Oh, when you get to America in the 21st century, I don't know about it. I doubt it's going to happen because they've got so much going on. There's so much division, I don't think it'll happen then. That's not what it says, is it? Jesus died to make peace between you and God, between us and God, to unite us to God and to one another. But let me ask you, though, do you think, and be honest, not to me, but to God, do you think it's impossible for us to bring peace and unity to our, to our world? Do you find yourself thinking it's impossible to bring peace and unity to the world that we live in? Maybe our resistance and our pessimism toward this isn't because there are... Isn't, because it's impossible, but maybe it's because there are things inside of us that don't like the idea of making peace and unity. Maybe just a hunch. Could it be that the enemy is a driving force behind and within the church that scoffs at this idea and plants this seed of doubt and tells you and he tells me it's impossible to make peace. It's impossible to bring unity. The world is just too far gone. It's too divided. Come on. We divide and disperse over silly and personal things. So I don't think it's crazy to suggest that we need to be intentional about making peace with each other. The reality was set in motion by Jesus himself, and the church somehow has given up on it. Our world in general, especially those that are different than us, whether it be beliefs or cultures, we have given up on making peace and making unity. But the church should be known as a peacemaking, a peace-seeking, a unifying people. Matthew 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. As in when, when people see them, people stop and say, They look just like their Father in heaven. Because they're always trying to make peace and they're always trying to seek unity. Look at this appeal to us that Paul gives us in Ephesians 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Based on what Jesus said in John 14, you're on the Great Commission, following the Great Commandment, doing greater works to bring the people to the Father's house. A manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. He says, with all humility and gentleness, as in it's not going to happen if we're not humble and gentle, with patience, bearing with one another in love. You ever had to put up with somebody? That's what bearing with one another means. Humility means to raise other people up, even when they don't deserve it. Gentle means to hold yourself back when you want to give them what you think they deserve. Humility means I'm going to raise them up instead of raising myself up. Gentleness means I'm going to hold my strength back because I need to show them kindness. 
That's a mouthful, right, for the church in this age. But we need humility and gentleness and patience. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, not out of duty, not out of, well, I guess I got to, but eager, as in excited, as in driven, as in motivated, to maintain unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So what are Christians supposed to be all about? Unity and peace. How can it happen? We're eager to make it happen by being humble and by being gentle. What a world we would live in if just the Christians said, I'm going to be humble and gentle. But we don't want to be gentle, especially men. We don't want to be gentle because gentle is how you describe rabbits, right? Gentle is how you describe stuff that's stuffed and fluffy and is for children, right? Gentle is not a masculine trait, but it should be. Humble is, not a, is something that nobody wants to, to be or how wants to behave like. But the, the Word says that if we were humble and gentle and patient and bearing each other in love and eager to maintain unity and peace, a difference could be made. Greater things could be done. Because there is just one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. What's the point there? There's just one church, and there's just one Jesus, and there's just one body. So we should not contribute to the division when there's just one body of Christ. One body of Christ is supposed to be united together, working to reach people together. But that's not how it works, is it? It should be. Paul concludes, One God and Father of all who is over and through all and in all, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So how did we get in? Grace. Listen, I know a lot about the Bible. I've read it a few times, just a few. I can quote a little bit. I can preach some of it. But that's not what makes me a Christian. I've missed maybe 10 church services in my life since I started. But that's not what makes me a Christian. Grace was given to me according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And if I ever forget that, I've lost my humility, I've lost my gentleness, and I've lost the mission. Humility and gentleness we have to get back to as a body in the name of and for the cause of the one body of believers that God is building. Listen, here's the point of all this. It's not enough to just be against division. You can't just sit back and say, well, I wish it wasn't so divided. We need to be anti-divisive, as in intentionally not contributing and fighting against what divides the world and what divides the church, more importantly, as in we need to counter division with peace and unity, with humility and with gentleness. If that means saying goodbye to some takes we've got, then so be it. When we have set ourselves to be anti-divisive, we might realize how divisive some of our ideas and behavior actually can be. When we actually work on not being divisive and actually work on bringing peace and unity, we might realize the things about ourselves that we aren't proud of. We will realize how humble we aren't by nature, how gentle we aren't by nature. I can tell you a little bit about that. When I try to be anti-divisive, I'm ashamed of the traits that come out of me. How we often bring the opposite of peace and unity to the situations in life. We allow so much to divide us. 
But may we allow the power of Christ to be greater within us and through us to bring peace and bring unity. I want to ask you, church, will you commit to setting out to do this greater work with me? If just one person in every church in the county committed to this, we could make a difference, much less a whole house full of people. Can we agree that we need to do this and prioritize this? Let me warn you, though. There's a lot of resistance to this. There's a lot of internal resistance to this. Not just within the church, but within our hearts. Come on, we've already got so many reasons why we'll never get along with them, don't we? I mean, I'll never get along with him. Salvation wouldn't fix him enough for me to get along with him. Come on. I mean, I'll just never get along with her. She's just too different. She's been raised that way. Let's make it bigger. Those people are just incompatible with my people. It's not my fault. It's not really their fault. It's just how the world is. Look at how they live. Hear them say the things they say. Can you imagine trying to make peace and unity with that? I mean, you're saying, can you imagine how much humility and gentleness it would require to make peace and unity? Is that what you're saying? Well, I don't know if I can imagine, but I know someone who can imagine how much gentleness and humility it would require. Jesus can imagine how much gentleness and humility it requires. Because what did he do to save us? He humbled himself and he showed us great kindness, didn't he? Philippians 2 verse 8 says that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. That's pretty humble, isn't it? Titus 1, 4, and 5 says that when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, what happened? He saved us. So what might happen when your kindness and your gentleness and your patience and your humility appears in a world that is so divided? What could happen? God could save somebody. If the church said, you know what, we're not just against division, we're going to be anti-divisive, we're going to counter division with peace and unity, and we're not going to let some little excuse inside of me say that's not going to happen, or that can't happen, or those people or that kind can't be reconciled. We're not going to listen to those lies from hell that will take us with them if we believe them. So what's our excuse? Look at verse 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, that I, will do, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What is Jesus referring to when he says, if you ask it, I'll do it? He's referring to, if my people who are called by my name will fall on their face and say, Jesus, I want you to do greater works through me. I want you to build your house through me. I want you to use me on your great commission using to obey your great commandment. I want to obey you. And if we pray that prayer, what does he say? If you ask it, I will do it through you. What if we ask God to do this through us? Do you think he would answer? We spend so much time praying for things that wouldn't impact anybody but us. And he often answers those prayers, doesn't he? Because he's good. How much more do you think God desires to answer prayers of his people when we seek him wanting peace and unity in our world? We spend so much time praying for lesser things though, right? And yes, he answers them because he's good. But what if we prayed bigger and bolder and greater prayers? 
they could impact somebody besides just us. This isn't just his desire, just a desire of his. This is a commandment of his. If we're truly his people, we won't delay this anymore. Verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. What did he just command us? Do greater works. Ask it and I'll do it through you. He says, I'll pray to the Father. He will give you a helper. What's a helper do? It assists you in doing the thing that you didn't think you could do on your own. The helper is the Holy Spirit. He may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees nor knows Him, but you know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. So what is the hope for our world? It's the church filled with the Spirit going on a mission eager to reach the world. Listen, the world's not going to fix itself. The onus is on us. The calling is on us to bring the fix to the world. And you know what the fix is? It's a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. That's only, that's the only fix there is. The world is hurting because there's a disconnect between so many and their Creator and their Father. And you know the way. You can show them the way. The question is, will you? The question is, will we? Jesus said, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little longer and the world will see me no more, but, they will, but you will see me because I live, you will live also, as in the church will live on and the church will carry this promise on. At that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. And as you continue forward in time, you will know that Jesus' promises are still true and He's still making a difference, but you have to keep this fire lit and you have to keep this mission prioritized because if you don't, the world will fall to pieces. He who has my commandment and keeps them, it, will, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself or reveal myself to him. The peace we have and unity we have with God rescued us from the orphanage of sin and death. In this season, we've come to know and cherish even more how awesome it is to have this promise and know these promises. But remember, Jesus is giving these promises to his closest followers so that they would go and tell the world about it. John wrote about it because he didn't want to just keep it to himself. John could have just kept all these to himself. And how awful it would have been. He couldn't though. He spent the rest of his life preaching so the world might know, demonstrating reconciliation through the relationships he made with others. I mean, verse 20 is so powerful. You will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Verse 19, because I live, you will live also. I mean, that's the promise that we have, church. We have life because we know Jesus. We have hope because we have Jesus. It's that simple. And we cannot scoff or brush off the pain in our world because if we didn't know Jesus or have Jesus, we would be as desperate or even more desperate than the world. Who knows what we do to express that desperation? And all throughout John 14, John 15 and 16, we see this, Jesus used this phrase, if you love me, you will obey me. 
If you love me, you will keep my commandments. His commandment is that we would share his love, our privilege, our knowledge, our peace, and our unity with the world that is so lost, hopeless, and divided. Judas, not Iscariot, said, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Abide in him or make our home within him. That's so powerful how this chapter begins and how this section ends. The beginning of this chapter in John 14, verse 2, Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions for you to dwell with me in heaven. But then the chapter ends, or this section ends, with Jesus saying, in your heart is a home for God. God has made room for all of us in His house. Have we all made room for Him in our hearts? See, God's already given you a guarantee of heaven. He's given you a preview of heaven. He's given you a guarantee, a a, a deposit, right? A reservation into heaven. But He wants to work in your heart right now. Have you made room for Him? And if we make room in our hearts for Him, He will reach others through us and show the world that there is a home for the hurting, rest for the weary, peace and unity for all the brokenness and despair. Listen, we all come from broken homes and broken world. Only Jesus can build us back. There's so many broken hearts in our world right now. Only Jesus can heal them. So can you commit with me to this greater work? Can we receive all that God has for us and welcome God into our hearts so that that He can make a home within us, so that we can show the world that all can find a home and help through the same Savior? Will we be obedient and bring peace and unity to our world? Will we? You know, it's easy. It's natural to be divisive. It's just part of who we are. Don't try to. It's greater and it's supernatural to advocate and eagerly work for peace and unity. Nobody wants to do this in and of themselves. But there's a knock on your heart from the Holy Spirit that says, This is why I'm living inside of you. For you to do greater than anybody else, to show the world there is peace and unity that they can have. But it's not going to happen if the church doesn't prioritize it and doesn't make it our main agenda. Asking God to build back, to allow God to build up each of us as His one body, His one family. Let me pray for you. Father, I love you. Thank you so much for this opportunity to come together in your house around your word. Father, we are so privileged to know who you are, to be saved by you. Lord, it's because of your kindness. It's because of your humility. It's because you were patient and you bore with us when we were the most unbearable. Father, there was nothing that we did to deserve that, and yet you gave it to us anyway. Because Jesus' love is greater than we can ever imagine. And that same love, that same spirit is inside of us and it compels us to reach the world. 
God, I pray somebody tonight would raise up their hands and say, I want to do greater. I want to be greater. I want to obey this mission. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to bring a counter against division and bring peace and bring unity because I believe the God who lives in me, the God who's made a home in me, wants to make a home in somebody and anybody. God, in our world right now, there's a lot of hurt, a lot of brokenness, and only you can call them to a place of restoration. But God, you can use us to show them that there is a way, there is life. His name is Jesus. We ask all of this in his name. Amen.